Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives. My guest today is a return guest. Dr. Nina Kraus is a neuroscientist who has done pathbreaking research for more than 30 years on the interplay of sound in the brain. Dr. Kraus is professor of neurobiology, communication sciences, and otolaryngology at Northwestern University. She uses the principles of neuroscience to improve human communication and advocate for best practices in education, health, and social policy. She most recently has done this through authoring her first book. It's hot off the press, it released today, and the book shows how our processing of sound changes the brain. Welcome back to Enhanced Life with Music, Nina. Oh, I'm so glad to talk to you again. Well, it's so exciting that your book released today. I thought that releasing a book into the world must feel like either bringing a child into the world or putting a child out into the world at age 18, like when you drop them off at college and you're like, I've done my best. Here they are. (laughs) Now, your parent, does releasing a book feel like either of those experiences to you? Oh, not really. But I can certainly say that this is, uh, I, I have three kids. So uh, having babies is something I've I've experienced, and I have never experienced releasing a book. And I can tell you that I'm very excited, and uh, it feels great. But I, I don't really make a direct connection other than the fact that my kids and their best beloveds have been a huge part of putting this book together for me. They have all read bits and pieces and various early drafts, and mostly they have been patient with me as I uh, incessantly have talked about the book for the last, (laughs) uh, you know, two years or so. And, you know, they've just been full of ideas and advice and encouragement. So um, in that way, there is a tremendous family connection. And of course, I have uh, dedicated the book to my family. Ah, well, the title of your book is Of Sound Mind, How Our Brain Constructs a Meaningful Sonic World. I was fortunate to be able to read an advanced copy. I loved it. It was fascinating, enlightening, and there are so many chapters I could do an entire episode on because you really cover a lot of ground, a wide spectrum of topics related to sound in the brain, and music features prominently in a lot of them. One of the things that I have always appreciated about your research that I've been able to read is your ability to make it practical and applicable for us non-scientists. And when I was reading your book, it really caught my attention, that story that you told about your mom's response to some of your early research on chinchillas. Can you just tell us that story and how it influenced your approach to research? Sure, sure. I'd love to. And the book is full of personal stories and uh, anecdotes, because, you know, in, in all the years I've been working on sound in the brain, I've been a person. Mm-hmm. And, and, and <laughs> science is done by people. And it is a hugely human endeavor that sometimes we, we lose track of. But in fact, there is this back and forth that happens with our lives and, and what we do. Uh, so let me tell you about the back and forth with my mommy, uh-huh. uh, la mamma. I started out well, let me I'll really back up and say that I grew up in a household where more than one language was spoken. My mom was a pianist. I thought sound was important, clearly somehow. I went to college and, and majored in comparative literature. And then I, I took some biology and I just loved it. 
and finally was introduced to a book by Lenberg, Eric Lenberg, called uh, Biological Foundations of Language. And I thought, oh, <laughs> you can put these things together. How wonderful. And so I began studying sound in the brain through neuroscience and auditory physiology. I, I worked first with Peter Dallas, and we were studying two-tone suppression in the auditory nerve of the chinchilla at that time. And, uh, you know, I, I was completely into it. And I was explaining to my mom what I was studying. And, you know, and I realized really clearly that there were maybe 16 people in the world that I could really get into the weeds <laughs> with on two-tone suppression. And it wasn't going to be my mom. And I just, I had this realization that if I couldn't explain to my mom how I was spending my time I didn't want to be doing that thing. Hmm. So so that that was that was a real grounding moment and and one that I have just felt so comfortable with throughout my career. Hmm. And from there I I really I still was recording the electrical activity of single neurons, but I could see firsthand the neural correlates of auditory learning and I think you know in one form or another the work that uh, I have done and I've done always with my colleagues at Brain Vaults you know it has something to do with learning through sound auditory learning mm -hmm. the quote in your book that kind of caught my attention after you had that conversation with your mom is you write I realized the science I do needs to be explicitly grounded in the lived world and I'm not a scientist, and I find your work fascinating, and I just really appreciate how you're able to put it in layperson's terms and make it meaningful and applicable to us lay people. Uh, your book is about sound, what our brains do with it, and what that does to us. And that's sort of how you came up with this title, The Sound Mind. One of the topics in the book is how music has a profound effect on our brain's ability to process sound and why musicians have measurably better sound minds for the long term. Tell us just starting out what your definition of musician is for purposes of your book. For the purposes of my book and really for most of the research that we've done, typically I mean someone who regularly plays a musical instrument, and yes, singing counts. Okay. So this is just somebody uh, like me who will just regularly over years, you can start and stop, but you, you know, have really spent some time engaging with an instrument you know, a couple times a week mm -hmm. on a regular basis for, you know, 20 minutes a day. Sure. Tell us, what are some of the top advantages that you see in musicians, defined this way, when it comes to their processing of sound and what that does to their brain capabilities? Well, when you engage with sound and you engage with it deeply, you engage the sound mind. And the sound mind is vast and is very much engaging what we know about the sound, uh, how we pay attention to it, how we remember it, um, how we feel about it, and how we move with it, how the sound interacts with the information we're getting from our other senses. So playing music is a, a workout for your brain, and it really does hone the sound mind to the point that, you know, we measure sound processing in the brain at brain volts, and we can see how different life experiences, how our life and sound 
changes the way in which sound is processed by sound experts. And when you mentioned brain volts, I'll just clarify to listeners that that's your, the name of your lab there at Northwestern University, and it's a phenomenal resource for anyone, whether you're a scientist or not. It's a wonderful website. There will be a link in the show notes to it, but just tons and tons of information on there about everything related to sound processing in the brain. You mentioned how music engages the whole brain, and in your book you say music is the jackpot because it does engage the sensing brain, thinking, moving, feeling. And you talk about, too, how the strings that are developed are not just musical, but they they do transfer to other activities. One of them that you talk about quite a bit is speech. Talk to us about the strength that's developed in musicians with that sound processing and the brain and how that transfers to speech. So the, the way I built the book is to first start talking about sound. And you know, the first section of it is about how how sound works. So, you know, what do we know about sound and how is it processed by the brain? Um, and then the second part of the book, uh, or actually most of the book, is about our sonic selves. What's important to know is that what is fundamental to sound turns out to be fundamental to many activities that engage or involve sound, for example, language. So if you strengthen certain ways of making sense of sound through your music playing, it is going to affect how you hear all kinds of sounds, all sounds, including those very, very important sounds that are a part of how we communicate with each other through language. Mm. You talk about how music is arguably one of the best ways to foster cognitive strengths, including attention, working memory, creativity, and definitely those transfer to speech. I was really fascinated by the overlap between so many different areas like speech, language, rhythm, for example, you talk about hearing speech and noise, and we we talked about this a little bit the last time I got to have you on the show here, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that. I found it really fascinating what you had to say in this book about rhythm and how the rhythm of speech allows us to fill in the gaps in noise when we're trying to hear speech and noise and how musicians are especially good at that because of their experience with rhythm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, sure. So how is sound processing enhanced by making music? So on, you know, on the one hand, there are ingredients in sound, just as there are ingredients in any visual object. You know, a visual object has color and texture and form. And sound, of course, has pitch, timing, timbre, rhythm, what we can do, and one of the metaphors that I use throughout the book is to be really thinking about these ingredients of sound outside the head, and then how they are processed individually and together inside the head. And I use the metaphor of a mixing board, where the brain is bringing in bits and pieces of sonic information, and different aspects of sound processing are enhanced or diminished based on our lives in sound. So if you are someone who is playing a musical instrument, we find that musicians have very strong processing of harmonics and of certain aspects of timing. And of course, harmonics are very important 
in determining one speech sound from another sound. So that's going to help us in quiet or in noise. And of course, there's rhythm. And rhythm is multidimensional. It's wonderful to do science because the science kind of keeps you honest and you learn what misconceptions you have. You know, I, I thought that if you were good at one kind of rhythm task, you'd be good at another kind of rhythm task, but it turns out not to be the case. There's a real big dichotomy between following the pulse or the beat of, say, a song and following a rhythmic pattern. What is interesting is that, you know, these rhythmic tasks have been studied psychophysically by scientists who haven't really put it that much together with music. And, you know, to me, I certainly write about this in, in the book, I can liken the rhythmic pulse following the pulse with the time signature in, in music. You know, mm -hmm. is it a waltz? Is it a march? Where is the one? Where is the emphasis? Mm -hmm. um, and also the rhythmic pattern is uh, denoted by the note values and rests. And I've actually, I've just written a, a short piece in editorial in the Hearing Journal, if anybody's interested in, mm -hmm. in that. Maybe you can put that link up. Yeah, definitely. Um, that, you know, speaks about using rhythm therapeutically and digital programs to help, you know, as, as an adjunct to various forms of music training and, and therapy. But the fact is that we have rhythms that are occurring at slow time scales, so very, very quickly, microsecond timing. And then over longer time scales, you know, over a measure or two or three over a sentence. Mm -hmm. And absolutely key to all of this and where my thinking comes in is that there are biological rhythms that are happening at these very fast and slower time scales. And we can measure all of this in individual people and also see what their strengths and weaknesses are in terms of, for example, hearing speech and noise. And it really turns out that the rhythm of speech, especially over these longer time scales, helps us fill in the gaps in noise. Yeah. Well, that's especially fascinating for me because my family tends to not have very great hearing. <laughs> my dad doesn't have great hearing. All of us kids do not have great hearing. Our spouses remind us of that all the time. <laughs> but I thought, boy, I am really going to be thinking about that rhythm of speech the next time I'm in a loud restaurant or in a crowded room and I'm you know, really trying to pay attention to the person who's talking to me, just pay attention to how the rhythm of the speech does kind of help us pick out the important pieces. And one thing you talked about in your book, too, is how musicians are really good at blocking out the irrelevant pieces of noise. And what you had to say, too, in the book about the connection between rhythm and what we might think of being unrelated skills like reading and writing, that, that's really fascinating too, that connection between rhythm and, and reading and writing. And for listeners who want more information on that, I did get into that a little bit with Dr. Anita Collins. So I'll link to that episode. She discusses that a bit in her book too. This is a quick break to tell you about Song Trust. Did you know there is an estimated $250 million in unclaimed royalties? SongTrust is the world's largest royalty collection service. It helps artists know what royalties they're owed and collects them for you so that you, the artist, can focus on creating and producing, not administrating. 
With SongTrust, you can register your songs quickly in one place. SongTrust will then collect all royalties you're owed from over 50 global pay sources. SongTrust represents over 350,000 songwriters. This includes Grammy winners and brand new up-and-coming songwriters. SongTrust is currently offering Enhanced Life with Music listeners 20% off your registration fee. Just use the code ENHANCELIFE20 at checkout. You can check them out at songtrust.com. While you're there, you'll see another reason I'm a fan. SongTrust is great at explaining the very complicated music publishing world. They offer a ton of free educational resources, including virtual workshops, a blog, and the modern guide to music publishing. Go to songtrust.com and remember to use the code ENHANCELIFE20 to get 20% off your registration fee. One of the things that you talk about in the book over and over is the benefit musicians have. But while listening to music has many benefits, you see the most benefit in terms of sound processing and the benefits of music with people who actually play music. And you make the comparison of you're not going to get physically fit watching sports. And while there's benefits to listening to music, you're really going to get the most benefit by actively engaging with making music. That's where you get the training and the repetition and the practice for long-lasting brain changes in sound processing. Talk to us about some of the research that you talk about in your book that I thought was so wonderful and fascinating about how these changes to the brain are long-lasting. You can stop making music for periods of time, even decades, and you still reap those benefits of having been a musician at some point in your time. And you can pick those benefits back up when you begin making music again. Talk to us about that. Yeah, music works the way so many aspects of our experiences and biological systems work in that we change throughout our lives based on our genetics to some extent, but very much how we spend our time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and this is a point that I, I really make in the book, the responsibility that we have for how we spend our own time and how we spend and how we encourage our children and, and our society to be spending time because it actually forms us from a biological standpoint. We can really see that what we do very much shapes who we are and that this is an ongoing process. So, If you have spent a number of years playing a musical instrument as a child, and, you know, often when I I get to talk to audiences, I I ask people to raise their hand who has taken music at some lessons at some time in their lives or has studied an instrument, and almost um, everyone raises their hands very encouragingly. And then I ask, well, you know, how many of you are still playing actively? And, you know, it's not often that many, depending on the audience. The fact is, though, that what you have done in the past has a legacy. And the experience that you have had uh, learning about sound to meaning connections and the way you have engaged your sound mind early on provides the scaffolding that you carry your entire life. For example, we find that older adults who have had music training in childhood, so decades before we 
get them in the lab, we find that people who have played musical instruments in the past have stronger sound processing in the brain of these particular details that characterize the the musician brain, you know, the timing, the harmonics, the ability to hear a noise, you know, these aspects of sound processing that in fact are so important for communication. You know, we know that as we get older, one of the most common complaints is difficulty hearing in noise. And I mean, hearing a noise is difficult at any age for anyone, but playing a musical instrument really strengthens from a biological standpoint, that sound processing in the brain in a way that, you know, we can see objectively, we can understand what it is, and we see that it has relevance to people's everyday life in terms of probably, you know, one of the most important things we do, which is our communication with each other. Hmm. Well, in your book, you say, if I had five minutes to tell teachers, parents, healthcare workers, and anyone who would like to listen to me about the biological evidence that supports the benefits of music education, I would say, <laughs> to, I got to read it, but tell listeners what you have to say, what, what your reasons are for the benefits of music education. Well, I, I so believe from a biological standpoint, you know, here I am, I'm really speaking as a scientist, that the the changes that happen in how we process sound and the way in which that influences all of our learning in life is something that we should make as a fundamental part of any child's education. Having everyone have a music education just like any other subject is certainly part of what I believe will make us individually and collectively strong because we want to be able to learn well and we want to be able to engage well with the world. Uh, we also know that you know we can communicate across languages and cultures through music. Music connects us, sound connects us very basically Um, But, you know, music really connects us in marvelous ways, and it is so important to be able to understand other people and understand other worlds. A music education really strengthens that ability. Mm. Well, you make it so clear in your book that making music shapes brain networks and those skills and brain activity that's improved by making music is a lot of the the same skills that improve language and reading and other academic skills. And one thing I liked about what you talked about in this section of if I had five minutes, what would I say? You talk about the economics. And one reason I like that is we don't really think about that. But you talk about the economics of how music education can help kids connect. It can help kids academically. It can help kids close that achievement gap between rich and poor kids at a fraction of the cost of medication and incarceration. And again, I thought that was a great example of the practicality of the research that you're doing. One final thing, too, that I I liked about that section is how you you said, in its simplest form, music education doesn't have to be a fancy, expensive proposition. It can be a child's voice. You know, in its most simple form, that's all we need is the voice. Well, tell us before we close things out, some of the sound mind choices that you chose to make for yourself and for your family when they were younger or that you've seen other people make and that listeners may want to consider. Well... I think one of the first things 
is to learn to be aware and to recognize the importance of sound, because it really is not a very recognized sense. And there's so much going on. So in terms of choices I've made in my own life is learning languages, having my children learn languages that they all had to play a musical instrument, spending time where you can hear the details of sound, the, the, the scrumptious, delicious, glorious sounds of nature. And there's a lot in the book about bird songs and, and nature sounds in general and, and how the sonic world influences not only humans, but every other living creature, including not only animals, but also plants. So, so these are important decisions. And the other is we're so cavalier about noise. I recently went to New York to see my kids. And first of all, the traveling in, in many ways was nicer than I had experienced it because there were fewer flights and fewer people. But just think about, you know, this is something that everybody encounters when they travel. Airports are noisy places inherently. I mean, there's cer certain things you have to have. You have to have the conveyor belts and the jet engines. <laughs> but do we need to have the trucks that are carrying people, you know, the carts back and forth from one gate to the other? You know, they go beep, 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 beep. You know, <laughs> I, I have experienced in Scandinavian countries the same facility with just a bicycle bell. And they would use it when necessary. Da -ding, da -ding. And, uh, you know, do we need to be listening to CNN? Uh, do we need um, to, uh, you know, at, at the gate, do I have to listen to this kid playing his video game? You know, I and mean, people are, just aren't aware of these things. And at LaGuardia, they've just built a fancy new terminal. And I was sitting there ready to board my flight. And I could hear there was another flight that was boarding three gates down. And every time the boarding pass scanned the little scanner, it went beep, 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 beep. <laughs> you know, so that happened, you know, what, 200 passengers. And I mean, yeah. the, the poor people, I mean, I, I, you know, who are on top of this, and this happens in every grocery yeah. store. We're just, sure. we're just not aware. And, and these are things that really aren't necessary. These can be modified, changed, but people aren't aware. And so one of the things that I really try to do throughout the book is to help us all recognize how prevalent sound is and how able we are to make choices for our own personal sonic lives and for our sonic world. Yes. Well, you do such a great job in the book of doing just that. And I highly recommend it. There, of course, will be links in the show notes so listeners can get their hands on your book, which is available today. Well, I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Tell us about the song that you're going to be sharing with us today. Sure. Sure. So I love to make music and I'm, I'm not especially good, but I make music with great joy. I'm actually married to a musician. So I, I, I'm fortunate to get really fabulous um, music making all the time around me. But one of the, well, one of the languages I speak is, is harmony. So when I was a little girl, you know, my mom would and dad, they would sing songs, you know, songs from the old 
country, uh, mostly alpine songs from the mountains, and they would sing harmony with each other. And I don't understand how I do it, but I can do it. It's so fun for me to listen and to figure out where I want to be with my voice. So what you're going to be hearing is, and, and this was not, not, I think we rehearsed this once. Um, so, so, you know, this is really the, the kind of fun music that uh, my husband and I make. He, we're singing a song called Wheels by the Flying Burrito Brothers, and we're singing harmony. But I, I chose it for this show because singing harmony to me is emblematic of the sound mind. You know, the sound mind is vast and it includes how we think and feel and hear and engage our other senses. And when you sing harmony with someone, you are listening to what they are doing and you are adjusting your own motor movements based on what you're hearing and you're looking at each other and you're moving with each other. And, you know, sound enables us to connect in this reciprocal fashion. Sound is intangible, it's dynamic. It is this, this sense, this fabulous sense that makes us who we are in terms of our relationships with people. And singing harmony is, is just one way of being with another person through sound. Thanks so much to Nina and Marshall for sharing that song. 
If you'd like to see the video as well, there is a link in the show notes. One thing I want to point out about Nina's book is that not only is it full of personal stories, like the chinchilla story, but it is also full of about 80 illustrations by Katie Shelley that are really engaging and helpful in synthesizing the information. As I already mentioned, Nina is really skillful in writing about scientific research in a way that is clear and accessible to the layperson. And Katie's illustrations just take that benefit up yet another notch. And it's a clever way of literally illustrating the art in science. We are giving away a free copy of this book to one of you. To enter the drawing, email me a screenshot of either your social media post about this episode or your podcast review on Apple Podcasts or podchaser.com by October 28th. My email is mindy at mpetersonmusic.com. This offer is available only to those in the U.S. due to shipping costs. As always, all links from today's show and a transcript of the episode can be found in the show notes at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast. This is episode 112. While you're there at the website, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me on email, mindy at mpetersonmusic.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. All links are on that webpage as well as in the episode details right in your podcast app. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, may your life be enhanced with music.